Welcome to the Sadaka Cast, where rabbis from two different generations come together to talk about social justice issues of the day. My name is Joe Blauberg. I am the producer, the moderator, the co-host, and uh, all-around um, tech wizard, in quotes, of the show. But with me, as always, is Rabbi Sammy Olin. Hi, everyone. And Rabbi Jack Pascoe. Great to be here again. So we took the week off for Passover because that's, uh, you know, what we do here. Uh, how was your guys' Passover? Did you guys do anything nice, anything special? Nice to be with family and friends. Yes, absolutely. We, um, we have a kosher policy at our synagogue where um, we shut down the whole enterprise for Passover because it's too much for us to kosher everything. Um, but we had a um, a congregant who was moving, unfortunately, to Massachusetts, and that meant that they had a whole empty apartment that we could use for our community seder. So we had a very special seder in a clean, empty apartment, um, and it happened to be the first time that this couple have ever, has ever hosted a Passover seder, which was uh, a mitzvah in itself. I, again, it was very small. It's always a very small occasion over at the Blauberg household. My wife was very excited to do Passover stuff to, to get the feather, to sweep around the house, to, to, to burn the chametz, the remaining chametz in the park. We did that, but I threw out my back. So I was trying my best to hobble along and do things where I hid the Afikoman. She did not find the Afikoman for three days. It took her three days to find the Afikoman. So that was quite the quite the thing. I am a master at, at, at camouflaging the Afikoman at the house. So God forbid I ever have children. They're just, they're going to hate Passover. I, 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 I promise to make it as an unpleasant experience as possible. So... <laughs> Anyway, I'm looking forward to <laughs> just torturing children. I have too much of a sense of humor to do with kid. You know what I mean? Like, uh, anyway, no, no, no. Our subject of the day is the depiction of Jewish people in media and entertainment. This we don't see a lot of Jewish people in media and entertainment, frankly, uh, for, you know, we always get the stereotype of controlling the media. Right. That's 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 the anti-Semitics have been saying that since there was media, right, since there was television and movies. But we don't really see a lot of Jewish representation in media. And when we do, it might not always be positive or it reinforces negative stereotypes. What have your guys has been experiences? What do you guys see when you look at uh jewish representation in, on television uh yeah I, I agree with you i think it's conflated oftentimes with a, a new york city stereotype of um eastern european jewry um, but judaism is very diverse and holds many different character portrayals and oftentimes for the sake of commerciality it is streamlined into one very uh neurotic and pigeonholed character um i think that it's quite often offensive, even if it doesn't mean to be, and oftentimes works against stereotypes that individual Jews have to defeat when they barter coalitions and make friends with groups uh, who don't have Jewish experiences, um, you know, in, in their family or friendship. You know, Joe, as you were talking about Jews controlling Hollywood, you know, you hate to play into the anti-Semitic tropes, but guess what? Jews control Hollywood, right? Uh, that Metro Goldwyn mayor back in the day, you heard and it here, folks. We admitted to it. That's that's okay. what. And, and and now it's DreamWorks, Spielberg, Katzenberg, and Geffen. 
Okay, so so let's let, let's at least be honest about that. We do have a big say in what happens in Hollywood, uh, which also bleeds over into uh, liberal politics in many cases. Uh, not our subject for today, but I think there's some relevance. And Rabbi Yolen, as you were talking about that neurotic, uh, you know, Jewish New York character. Um, I always hated Woody Allen for exactly that reason. Uh, there's a, there are plenty of reasons to hate Woody Allen. Uh, not the most moral guy in the world, uh, but watching the constant portrayal of the nebbish uh, in, uh, in his movies, uh, I was never drawn to that. I never liked it. I never thought it represented us uh, well. Uh, he got cheap laughs out of it as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so I think part of this issue is not just how are Jews portrayed, but how do Jews contribute to this mythology ourselves uh, with our sometimes self-hating behavior uh, that factors into movies and TV? So I'll, I'll even add there, because um, while you might, you know, insist that Jews do own Hollywood and, and maybe, um, you know, maybe I would say individuals who happen to be Jewish are a predominant force in Hollywood. You know, I, I often don't think that that's a defining characteristic of their persona. Recently, actually, there was a uh, an article that that came out as um, a, a pretty big scandal where the Academy Museum, uh, Hollywood's founding fathers of cultural uh, Los Angeles, the, the Academy Museum, had a giant museum open that negated the role of any sort of Jewish individual. Um, I don't know if you've if you've heard about this, um, but it was uh, a giant museum that was dedicated to the founding of Hollywood. Uh, and while you might say all these names are Jewish and they are, uh, this museum left out the Jewish story that really created Hollywood. And I think this speaks to specifically uh, what Jews try to do when they when they are accepted in a larger national culture, and they try to seek to elevate the ideals of that culture. Um, they uh, they oftentimes fight for rights of all individuals in order that that culture extends its universal promise to giving acknowledgement to to all peoples. There's a a debate I might have mentioned here before about Jewish altruism. Is Jewish altruism done out of empathy for other people because we wanna make sure other people are included? Or is Jewish altruism a more selfish motive where if other people are accepted in the mainstream, so too we will be accepted in the mainstream. And Hollywood is a paradigm for that idea because at its worst, people look at Jews and say, oh, they only celebrated American culture so that they would be included in American culture. And at best, you know, American culture, Hollywood has allowed the idea of the American civilization to, to be welcomed by all peoples of very diverse and specific backgrounds, um, you know, congealing us into the mosaic that America likes to profess it is. I think that's a Jewish gift. The National Museum of American Jewish History, which is an amazing place if you are interested in Jewish history at all, to go visit. It's in Philadelphia. I recommend it highly. They have a great, great, great exhibit on Jewish people in the early stages of the development of Hollywood and movies, right? They 
it's it is a good story. There is a presence there. Jewish people, especially Jewish people that didn't come from wealth, right? These, you know, the Warner Brothers and MGM and these studios are really not started by wealthy people. Is our success held against us in this regard, right? When we get the anti-Semitic you know, conspiracy theories or whatever, when we do find a, a home for ourselves somewhere in a burgeoning industry that does very well for itself, uh, you know, is there no way to win for us, right? Is, is this a bad thing that we, we found a place? Uh, yes, and I, I want to highlight why it was Hollywood that opened its doors to Jews. And that was because it was a brand new technology. There wasn't that much copyright and trademark associated with it. And it was all the way on the West Coast. You know, it was very hard for Jews to break into established industries on the East Coast. There were, unlike the Middle Ages when there were guilds, there were uh, standards of, you know, being a lawyer. That's why tax law was a lot more accessible to Jews than being an, you know, an actual um, a tort lawyer. Uh, and so Hollywood became this brand new technology that could be mass produced, and there were really no barriers to entry. Uh, you saw upward mobility in in such a way. Um, and, and Jews were a lot of ways able to change their names and assimilate in, in a way that maybe other markedly non-white Americans could do. So there's that aspect to it as well. Um, and uh, radio was similar. A lot of Jews went into radio. It was also a newer technology, a little more difficult to break into, but it, it was still there. Um, and I think that's a pattern when there's a new technology that's developed it's easy for immigrants or outsiders to make their mark on society, economically, absolutely, um, but also culturally, uh, by kind of blending in and, and being on the lead edge of those, of those technologies. And we still see that today with things like cryptocurrency and other new technologies that allow for um, the traditionally you know, underprivileged to break into. And you know, for Jews, that goes back centuries before to the Middle Ages. And all, all the cries about Jews and banking uh, in Europe, uh, we were forced into certain occupations. We had to support our families uh, and many paths were legally closed off to us. And if they weren't legally closed off, they were by practice. Uh, we can look at the crafts guilds and things like that in mid medieval Europe. Uh, we can look at, look at quotas in medical schools in this country. Uh, for many years. Uh, and then, Joe, exactly to your point, it gets flipped around. Right? You control Hollywood, or you control this, or, yeah, well, you forced us into that in the first place, and we succeeded. Um, but I do want to, if I, we can go back to something earlier, because there was a time when Jews were portrayed more positively uh, and I don't, I, I'm going to make an observation, not a conclusion, because I haven't thought a lot about it. Maybe you have some thoughts. In the 1960s, when Israel was still the underdog darling uh, of American life, there were two movies about the founding of Israel that came out. One was Exodus, right? Leon Uris's Exodus. Uh, if you look at the cast of that, uh, it might not, the names might not resonate with, with your generation as much, but if you look at the cast of that, we have Paul Newman and Sal Mineo and Eva Marie Saint, uh, even non-Jewish 
uh, actors couldn't wait to get into these movies. The, the second one was Cast a Giant Shadow, uh, the story of Colonel David Mickey Marcus, played by Kirk Douglas. Okay, so of course, a famous Jew, although his name had been changed. But who else was in that? John Wayne was in that. Frank Sinatra played a mercenary uh, Air Force pilot throwing seltzer bottles out of the plane for whatever little pop they were going to make. Um, so there was a time when Jews, or at least Israel, was portrayed more positively. Uh, the other question I have, and, and I, I'm not immersed in this, um, is what is the effect of now having Israeli television being streamed on some of the streaming services? Uh, so, so we have things like Fauda uh, and Unorthodox and uh, Stissel. Uh, there's a whole avenue. The flip side of that, uh, what, the, the one that I absolutely despise is Schitt's Creek. Uh, that's back to the Jewish nebbish, uh, and of course with, with significant wealth. But the streaming services have definitely added something to this discussion. My wife endures Stitzel, and I do not. Uh, I think I have a long-standing beef, or not so long-standing, I guess, for a few-year-old beef with Israeli television production. I think they they do these long-standing shots. They're poorly edited. They'll, they'll do these long shots that just, in American television, you'll never see it because they'd be like, why do we need to film this guy walking for three minutes in front to a store? Like, you could just film him at the store, right? Like, um, so my ADHD brain goes crazy trying to watch uh, Israeli TV. Like, I just can't, like, I'm way too hyper. That, I want to talk about the, the recent thing, because we have things like The Marvelous Miss Maisel. And this conversation came up because The Marvelous Miss Maisel stars non-Jewish actors playing Jewish women. This was a big controversy a few months ago when uh, comedian Sarah Silverman referred to the term, which is not a good term, by the way, so uh, you know, Jew face uh, to describe this phenomenon of non-Jewish actors playing you know, prominent Jewish roles. And again, I don't like the term. The term's not great because let's not, let's not conflate the issue of blackface to Jewish non-Jewish actors. But still, there is the question of, is this okay? Do we have, do we just kind of brush it off and say, well, it's acting, so they're acting, right? It's, it's you know, not every actor has to be the role that they are. Or do we say this was an opportunity for Jewish people that we were excluded from in favor of non-Jewish actors? So which one does it fall for you guys? Is this an issue? Is this a non-issue for you? You're bringing to the fore a really important question. And I, I think when I look at it, I, I double down on what the character means in the context of the role. So uh, one of the unspoken things that we just kind of glossed over is that there are religious Jews and there are secular Jews. Okay, and each one has their representative in media. And secular Jews are often known for being irreverent. I would say the neurotic type, the domineering, the criticalism, the, those are the aspects that I think are focused on when someone is just culturally Jewish in the media, whether it's true or not, I, I happen to see that as a, as a trend. Um, and then when it comes to religious Jews, it's more on the, you know, 
how close to halakha is this person following? When do they deviate from it? Oh, look at how their, their character is developing because they have maybe a less strenuous practice than we might have anticipated when we saw them in a certain way. Uh, I think that when it comes to casting Jews for Jewish roles, I don't think that the character needs to be Jewish. I think they need to have a respect for the practice of Judaism. And I think that when there are Jews who aren't religious, who have no respect for their own practice, are then being played by non-Jews who are absorbing the non-religious Jewish disrespect for their own practice, I think it could become a problem. And I think that's why it might feel exceptionally insensitive when I watch Marvelous Maisel or when I experience um, Schitt's Creek, you know, because I, I saw Schitt's Creek and I also had that um, visceral experience of, oh my gosh, this is all the things I hate about my family. And they don't even realize they're doing it, but this is a scripted program where they're intentionally doing it. So, um, you know, again, I'm from New England. The, the 203 area code is got the, you know, it's a pressure cooker. Most of the kids there go to really intense colleges. Uh, my family was no exception. And the criticalism is baked into it. The, you know, the obsession with status is part and parcel of, of matriculating in that area. I left that area. I don't like that area. And when I looked at Schick's Creek, it seemed like the same obsession with status and culture and achievement and money. And it made me feel sick. You know, it's interesting. A recent production of Fiddler on the Roof uh, in New York was done in Yiddish. Uh, and I was shocked and pleased that there were a number of non-Jewish actors, uh, even if they didn't know what they were saying, they did an incredible job. And Rabbi Yohan, to your point, they did it with respect. Um, we also have, take, let's stay on Fiddler for just a moment. Um, a production shortly before that was created to intentionally universalize the Jewish experience. Uh, also done in New York, and where uh, at the very end of the show, when the people of Anatevka are trudging off to their future, wherever it's going to be, they conflated that with immigrants and refugees from around the world. And I am unresolved in my feelings about that. Uh, I appreciate that there is a universal message. On the other hand, this is a Jewish story. What does it say when we can't tell that part of our story? But Joe, this is in some ways a, a question that's going on uh, and being asked with all kinds of minorities right now. So uh, the recent uh, movie version of In the Heights got slammed because even though it used Latino actors, uh, there were those who said they were all light-skinned Latino actors. On the other hand, uh, compare the recent product, uh, the recent movie version of West Side Story, which you know Bernstein, you know, and now Spielberg, uh, which the original movie that they had the whitest, some of the whitest actors who had to darken their skin. Natalie Wood plays Maria. The new Spielberg production went out of its way to be more authentic in terms of the actors and the parts they were playing. 
so there's a lot to this that goes beyond the Jewish experience. Yeah, I'm going to bring up Fiddler on the Roof for a quick second because it came to Hershey. I saw it. I took Erin and her whole family to see Fiddler on the Roof. And the lead was an Israeli. And he did not emphasize the right on one hand, on the other hand. He kind of gave these lines as flat. And uh, there was it was a whole mix of, of characters, you know, all sorts of different backgrounds. Um, and I was particularly a little disappointed with how the emphasis of uh, of some of these very Talmudic lines were not really delivered. Uh, so also at the end, they said this is absolutely for refugees around the world. There was a very specific message that was bookended um, in the show. Um, and I, I can understand that, you know, we're all in some way or another from refugees. And so we need to appreciate that. But I do feel like it's the specific Jewish story that is quite often universalized and expanded to fit almost every other container. And sometimes it feels like, am I no good unless I am the, the myth that you have to buy into? Uh, and I, I think that's why, that's why I think it's important to have a religious and spiritual practice beyond just I'm a cultural Jew is because if you don't, if you don't activate your stories with ritual, they're just stories that anyone can use. But if you can really get to it and teach your kids, as we say in the Via Hafta prayer and ritualize, you know, Passover and, and you follow the rules, you know, I'm not saying everyone needs to follow them to the T, but if you follow the rules, you have a, a practice that has integrity. And other people can't just use your stories for their purposes. They can't just create a Jewish character that is neurotic and obsessive and compulsive and status oriented because there's a humanizing trait, which is that person is doing that for the sake of God. It's not for the sake of the ego. Um, and I think that's where the complexity and the difficulty might work its way into Hollywood. So, so Rabbi Yolen, let me ask you a question because you mentioned Passover. And one of the things I struggle with is how Passover has been universalized. Uh, I'm not talking about Christians holding satyrs. They have a different agenda to be able to direct the conversation towards Jesus. Uh, but the, the satyrs that are themed, this year, of course, the big theme was Ukraine. Uh, in my memory, we had the freedom satyrs the, the satyrs done jointly with the black community during the height of the civil rights era. Era, we had Soviet Jewry satyrs, we had women satyrs, um, all kinds of oppressed groups latched onto that story, and that came from within the Jewish community. Uh, when mm -hmm. when's the time to tell our authentic Passover story? And when do we universalize it? Can it be meaningful if we're talking about ancient Egypt or do we have to find contemporary connections? Just curious about your feelings on that. Great question. Uh, this year I did three satyrs. Oftentimes it's more. The first satyr was a traditional one with the congregant. You know, we followed the Maxwell House Haggadah. You know, I chose to read it all in Hebrew or Aramaic. When it became my turn, I did not want to read the English, you know, that was my bent. Uh, the second night was our congregational Seder. That was in the apartment I had mentioned at the beginning of this episode. Um, that was done a little more English because there are a lot of mixed families in our midst and there were uh, some guests. We had a guy who identifies as Karite 
It was maybe his first community Seder. Uh, we had a number of individuals who um, might have been peripheral Jewish from birth, but had strayed from the religion. And then the last one I did was actually with my girlfriend's parents, and it was their first Seder. And that was a learner Seder. I oftentimes do Seders at old age homes. I've never really themed it to a social justice orientation because I think it's so obviously applicable to social justice that you shouldn't bend over backwards. Maybe if you wanna read a poem or read an article here or there, it's, it's a nice link, um, but it almost feels like we are selling our, our, ourselves short. It feels like we're taking a precious diamond and we are, you know, letting someone hold on to it before they really know exactly what it, it means. So um, I, it would, might be different if I had other leaders in other communities and other groups participate and really bring themselves to the table, but I've gotten really reluctant to share things that are so meaningful to me when it feels like they are so clearly, um, so clearly brusquely skipped over by, by others. This isn't just another thing, this is Passover. This is for eight days, I'm not gonna eat wheat. This is a really big deal. And so I, I don't like to you know flavor it with the zeitgeist and then move on because I want it to mean something to me. And that's what I need from God. And I think other people appreciate that. So I have to jump in because this conversation moves so fast. There's a few things I want to say to jump in here. Uh, one, I would I don't speak a word of Yiddish and I'd pay good money to see a fiddler on the roof in Yiddish. Uh, I'd sit there for three hours confused, but I'd enjoy it. Uh, fiddler on the roof in the Blauberg house is a sacred text. We we uh, every Christmas, as we all experience where we're, we're pretty bored my wife and i we watch fiddler on the roof every christmas so it's uh, we how can you top total but um i'm gonna fight both of you guys now uh, on something because i think both in the case of fiddler on the roof at the end of fiddler on the roof and the passover story when you have when you're talking about relating the struggles of others to the struggles of the Jewish people having to flee the oppression of the Russian Empire. It humanizes Jew Jewish people to others to see their struggle in the Jewish struggle, right? Like, uh, and it humanizes other people when we take a sympathetic story like Fiddler on the Roof that is a popular media, right? Pop consumed in popular media and, and to say, these people you're othering are just like these people you sympathize with, right? They have a culture to it, right? Like I understand the need to not appropriate things away from Jewish people, but I really think that that humanizing others with our story isn't a bad thing, right? Like, are we at odds totally with this? Well, well, I think they're taking, you know, the hallmark Jewish story and using it for whatever purpose you know they want to at that time it's very different when you see in the last 20 years so many depictions of Jews done in a slipshod comical way and then but wait look we like Fiddler on mm. the Roof so we can humanize Jews now you know they've suffered so we can paint them as complicated and also villainous 
I, I think that's pathetic. Uh, if we're going to go over to to portrayals, because Jack has mentioned the portrayals of the Nevish, right? The the Woody Allen types. The the my I'm a big comic book nerd. Uh, my favorite depictions, two of my favorite characters in all the fiction are Magneto and Ben Grimm. Both of them was Jewish, and because I, I especially Ben Grimm, the Thing, the Fantastic Four, because. He's Jewish, right? Um, explicitly said on the page, but he's not meek or mild, right? He is he he likes to watch the game. He's this big brawly guy. He's how how important is it that we celebrate those departures from stereotypes? Like, where do we find them? How do we really highlight these? Uh, situations to 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 talk about how varied the Jewish experience is. You know, first of all, we have to acknowledge that the comic book industry was also an industry where Jews had a lot to say, and you know that Superman was Jewish, right? And um, uh, Kal El and Jar El and and you know all of that stuff created by two good Jewish boys looking for a savior figure, and but. Um, you know, when I when I look at how we break those stereotypes, one of my pet peeves is um, just about all of the Holocaust movies that have ever come out, uh, where the Jews are the victims, uh, the Jews are beholden to the Christian or the or the even the Aryan in the case of Schindler's List. Um, who save you know savior, who's not Jewish, um, the pianist hated that one. Uh, the most offensive to me was the boy in the striped pajamas, where be, we're being called, uh, directed to sympathize with a brutal Nazi concentration camp commandant, uh, and then we get defiance. Was that what it was called? The Defiance, the, the Belsky brothers, uh, who fought back. Uh, right, James Bond gets to be a Belsky brother. By the way, James Bond isn't Jewish. Uh, but here, at least, we're finally fighting back. Uh, so, to me, it's very important to have those portrayals. Uh, an awful lot of money has been made on Holocaust movies that I think portray Jews negatively. Having said that, when Spielberg made Schindler's List, he commented, first of all, he owned the rights to that for about 10 years before he made the movie. He wanted to feel that he had sufficient gravitas in Hollywood before he can make his Holocaust movie. He also felt that for the public at large to engage with it, it had to be more than a Jewish story. That's sad in its own right. Yeah, that's a great, uh, great example there. And I think that we shouldn't be, um, I don't think we should ever be disappointed in our Jewish leaders, especially when they're atypical from what uh, we might anticipate struggles of ghettos in Europe and the Holocaust and the years in the Crusades, all the psychological difficulties of those periods definitely influenced us. And we shouldn't be, uh, reluctant to embrace the strong Jew. Um, the term is the negation of the diaspora period for, for those who are in Israel. There's this period where you look at 
living in subjugation, the diaspora didn't count. And so the strong Israeli, that's the model to aspire to. I think that it's good to look at our religion and to find those uh, those stories of strength and, and spiritual power, not by might, you know, but by spirit alone. I think those are important things to cling to. And I think that those are not the things that we see in Hollywood as of today. And that's maybe where my discontent is coming from, is that it's very easy and convenient for Hollywood, who seems to dislike now wealthy white people and middle-aged white people because of white privilege and other things. Uh, I think it's very convenient for Jews to be pl played as that when that's not been my experience. And, you know, for convenience sake, I, I think that our religion deserves more. So we're running low on time, but there is a question in regards to representation and depiction that I want to get to. I feel like it's absolutely necessary. So of the last few years, a conversation has flowed around social media about the depiction of Jewish people in certain things or Jewish references or hinting, implying that the Jewish in villainous roles. Right. So uh, the Umbrella Academy season two had a you know, the main antagonist was a bureaucrat, very stylish bureaucrat who used Yiddish at one point. Right. Um, there was the Harley Quinn cartoon, which, Jack, I know you haven't seen, but the penguin on episode two, the penguin has a bar mitzvah for his nephew. Right. So the penguin. So depicting Jewish people as villains is obviously, you know, there's a danger there. But when we talk about immersion in the culture and, and accepting Jewish people as, you know, a part of a culture instead of a separate outside other, right? Can Jewish people be portrayed as villains safely within a thing, even if it's, you know, especially if it's Jewish writer, but can they, can they fit that role or is it too dangerous to have Jewish people in villainous roles in media? Joe, I appreciate you asking this question. I just don't know if it's really the right orientation. Anyone can be villainous. I think the fixation on an industry that's, if we admit to it, dominated by non-religious Jews, you know, using their inside knowledge on Judaism to craft characters of some of the worst aspects of, of Judaism. Because if they were religious Jews and if they had integrity of their practice, and I don't mean religious by halachic, I mean, if they were spiritually inclined, they would understand that some of the depictions of Jewish people that they take for normal are actually really damaging to their own spiritual welfare and to the Kalhal Yisrael in total. Um, you know, specifically, I'm thinking of, there was a fight between Seth Rogen and Eve Barlow. Eve Barlow is a, is a pro-Jewish social commentator um, who'd been calling out certain celebrities for basically passive anti-Semitism or anti-Semitism at large. So the fight between Eve Barlow and Seth Rogen uh, started trending where Seth called her out as Eve Fartlow and basically started bullying her, cyber bullying her. I, I think that was a very embarrassing take. I think it just shows how far away from a real Musar practice um, Hollywood, some Hollywood Jews have, have come from. And I think you can contrast this with, um, uh, with, I think you can contrast the behavior of Seth Rogen versus Sasha Baron Cohen 
who has stood up for free speech as well as against anti-Semitism and who portrays very nuanced and multifaceted Jewish characters who run the line between villain and hero. You could see this in Netflix, The Spy, about his portrayal of an Israel spy undercover in Lebanon during the 70s and the 80s. 60s and 70s. It it was leading up to the Six Day War. Um, Hmm. You know, on on the Golan Heights, Lebanon, then on the Golan Heights in Syria. Um, You you know, Joe, in some ways you're asking the Merchant of Venice question, Uh, right? Uh, If if we go back to Shakespeare's character, we have this Jew who is not the least bit likable, but has this incredible soliloquy where he says, don't I bleed also? And so now the difference perhaps there is that we're looking at a Jewish character created by a non-Jew for non-Jewish audiences. So the debate is always was Merchant of Venice good for the Jews? Uh, because Shylock does get to give the speech and say, you know, if you prick me, do I not bleed? Uh, on the other hand, everything about else about the man is disgusting. Uh, so uh, was Shakespeare an anti-Semite? What was the intent? Everyone in England in the 16th century was an anti-Semite if you weren't Jewish, though. I mean, to be, it, it was, that's, listen. You're not getting you're not getting a lot of love back then, right? But so if if people don't know Jews, if they don't have family or friends that are Jewish people, you know how right is it to craft these somewhat realistic but diabolical Jewish characters who their only understanding of Judaism might come from Hollywood, and now seeing a large number of them, you know, worship wealth and ego at the you know at the altar of sacrificing other people's well-being, it's not a good look. And I would say it's not Jewish. In fact, if Judaism has integrity to it, it's it's anti-Jewish. And the fact that it would come from, you know, apostate Jews, Jews who don't take their practice seriously, you know, insert generous term there. Um, you know, I'm not asking for everyone to follow halakha. I certainly don't to the level of, you know, of orthodoxy. But I, I do think it's very important for people to take their relationship to God seriously. And I don't think they would craft these characters if they if they did. Well, that's about the time we have. So uh, I would like to maybe kick it over to you guys to the uh, you know final thoughts and then maybe a book review if you have a book. But let's let's do final thoughts first uh sam you have a final thought you want to say on the depiction of jewish people in the media today my final thought is that i wish that more people on jewish media look like you joe and look like you jack because i am very happy every tuesday morning connecting with the both of you i think you are exemplars of uh mental kite which is uh you know good values you hear that first sam wants more bald guy representation in the media and certainly the same for me. It's, it's a pleasure being with the two of you. And, you, you know, last thoughts. Um, a lot of this for me gets back to that bigger question of um, the self-hating Jew uh, that manifests itself in, in so many ways. Uh, I had someone 
who refused to join the synagogue because why would I send my kids to Jew jail? Uh, referring to our religious school. There's an awful lot of self-hatred. Uh, and to me, that's that's something we need to explore. We can't control how the other is going to depict us necessarily, although we need to be vigilant about that. We didn't talk at all today about uh, Mel Gibson and the passion of the Christ and uh, certainly other directions we could have taken this in. Um, but uh, what's our responsibility? Uh, and how, how do we educate around that? So uh, another opportunity for another time. Let's do book reviews, rabbi reviews. Let's let's talk about books we have been reading and enjoying. I've been itching to talk about this book, The Great Depression by Benjamin Roth. It's a diary. He goes through day-to-day -day accounts of what the Great Depression looks like. Um, he writes from the perspective of a reformed Jewish lawyer. Um, he's not too connected to religion, but he does mention some interesting things about the rabbi's sermon being uh, very fiery. And... Um, I was surprised at how similar some of uh, the news that we read about and see today represented a lot of the sentiment that was going on at that time in American history. For me, it's, um, I haven't started it yet, uh, but looking forward to reading a book that I just got called Creating Sacred Communities by Ron Wolfson, uh, who is a prolific author and a transformative figure in trying to help us navigate future directions of Jewish life. Uh, one of the confounding questions and exciting questions for me is, uh, what is this new American Judaism in a post-COVID world when we've discovered Zoom and all of these other um, great tools uh, and challenging tools? Uh, what's this going to look like? And Ron Wolfson has been somewhat prophetic now for over 20 years in helping us see the future of the American Jewish community. So I'm looking forward to uh, to reading that book as well. So uh, on the, the subject of Zoom, right before we go, funny story, my wife tunes into Rabbi Jack's uh, Torah study every morning uh, or every Saturday morning. And either he has the screen behind him. And so we could see ourselves, Robin has the camera off. We could see the camera off behind you. And I was like begging her. I'm like, please let me make silly faces behind the rabbi. I am always and forever 10 years old. Um, but she wouldn't let me. Uh, so where can we find you guys on social media? You can get to me on Twitter, Sam Yolen, Rabbi Yolen. You can get to me on Facebook, on Instagram. Uh, I don't have a Snapchat. I don't have a TikTok. But my snail mail address is uh, 400 South 8th Street, Congregation Beth Israel, Lebanon, PA 17042. I have my own Facebook page, which often posts the same things that are on our congregational page, uh, as well as uh, our congregational website, shaarei.org, S-H-A-A-R-A-I.org. You can find me at Joe Blauberg on Twitter. Uh, you can find the show at the Sadaka Cast uh, at Twitter. You can send us questions, thoughts, or observations at SadakaCast at gmail.com. We have a Patreon. Well, you can check it out at SadakaCast or patreon.com slash SadakaCast, where at just $5 a month, you will get extra episodes uh, with Robin and I doing a Jewish history podcast. You will get uh, $10 a month. I'll finally sit down with Sam and we'll do some video stuff, or video movie reviews, book reviews, and uh, 
and the weekly Parsha. At $40 a month, you can tell us what episode you want. You can give us the, the topic and we will faithfully we will faithfully go on out and, and make that episode barring something you know terrible, right? Please be nice. Uh, <laughs> thank you as always for joining us. Please join us next week. Uh, every Sunday night, we'll have another episode for you. Uh, thank you very much. Have a good one. Take care, everyone. So long. Uh...